0: Second Thessalonians chapter two, and verse three. The first part of that verse says, "Let no man deceive you by any means." Let's pray, Father. We sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather. Father, we know that just the change in weather from where we were at twenty-seven miles away to here. Lord, uh, thank you for safety. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the snow. And uh, like uh, Brother Bean prayed, Lord, thank you for the cold weather, even though. We don't really like it, and uh, Father, we just pray that you'd open our eyes one more time that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you, Lord, for bringing your people out tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, here in chapter 2, verse 3, of course, Paul's going to get into uh, why people uh, are being deceived, and this, of course, has to do with end times, but uh, last Sunday night, we talked about a multitude of things that deceive Christians in the last days, and uh They must have erased it, but I was going to go back over I want to give you one more before we continue on. I'll go to Proverbs chapter 31. Here's another one that uh, really stuck out to me. Proverbs chapter 31. There's a lot of things that deceive a Christian in these last days. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll think it's everybody else doing the deceiving. And there are those who are deceivers and those who are being deceived. Make no mistake about it. But... uh, As one preacher said, you're often your own worst enemy. There's three things that mentioned in the Pauline epistles, or what John wrote: the world, the flesh, and the devil. There, and that flesh—that's kind of your prison. That's what keeps you here. I was just reading today. Was it in Job? It says, uh, "I'm fenced in with my bones." I'm paraphrasing. Uh, You're kept captive. Bones and flesh and skin. And it's not until you get to shake this thing that you actually uh, get out of here. It's keeping you here. Uh, Proverbs 31, we say verse 10? No, what is it? Thirty Verse 30. Yeah, there you go. Look at the first part of that verse. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. <laughs> One fellow said, uh, beauty is skin deep but ugly is to the bone. <laughs> but, but it says favor is deceit Will you ever stop and think about that you know what deceives a lot of Christians favor you say what in the world is that oh you know success you know promotion uh, let me show you an example and we'll move right we'll, we'll move. Uh, and a lot of times Christian if you're not careful you'll let your success in your secular job it'll deceive you uh, you 'll let your uh, t- if I could say it like this it 's not going to come across right if you could let your tenure as a Christian and how much a Bible you know that thing sometimes that thing will be a, a snare to you and you 'll think because you have read your Bible so many times or you have been a Christian so long or they put your name on the back of a pew somewhere uh, and you 're in favor with a building that uh, that thing will deceive you. I think I want first Kings chapter one, do I? I want I want Adonijah here. Is that first Kings one? I'll tell you, some 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 days I feel like I have it all together up here, and other other days I don't have anything. Amen. Um, but uh look, here we go. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 1. I want you to see this. Verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5. I want to show you how favor deceives you. Verse 5, the Bible says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Let me tell you what, the price of gas, you've got 50 of those, you're all right. (laughs) And here's, look at verse 6. Here's an interesting thing. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? You know, sometimes the Lord will let you do something. Your heavenly Father will let you do something, and he won't say a word about it. And people mistake that thing as a calling uh, because someone has the ability to do something. That's, a lot of times the Lord's not going to thunder from heaven and go, no, you can't do that. What, he'll, he'll just let you do it. <laughs> and because you can do something and you have favor with those around you because you are doing something, that thing will deceive you. It could be the very thing that takes you out, as is the case with Adonijah eventually. Look at this. And uh why is that done so he also is a very good so he's a good man, right? It says he was also a very goodly man. I mean he wasn't a bad fellow. He didn't have an he didn't have a bad motive in there. He had a great motive. I bet you his motive for making himself king is Well, you know David, you know Dad. I'm the oldest now, and he just can't make decisions anymore like he used to. He's on his deathbed. They're about ready to pull the plug on him, so I better step up and I better show myself a man. Isn't that what David told Solomon? Show thyself a man. It's time to man up. So Adonijah, guess what? He was a good man. He decided to man up. Well, guess what? It wasn't his position. It wasn't his place to man up for the throne. Now, look at this. And his mother bare him after Absalom. All right, Absalom's dead, so obviously if you're going by genealogy, Adonijah would be the next in line to get the crown, right? Y'all, doing, y'all are sucking the snowstorm here. <laughs> Look at here, verse 7. And he conferred with Joab, that's the top general, uh, the son of Zeruiah and with Abiathar, the priest. That's the priest that uh, helped David out, right? Followed David all throughout his ministry. And they following who? Adonijah. So you got the top general, you got the top priest, and they're helping Adonijah. You know what that did for Adonijah? It gave him a reason to keep doing what he was doing because he had Joab, the big dog, and then he had Adonijah, you know, the priest. In the Old Testament, that's like the high priest there. And uh, <clears throat> now, um, uh, But look at verse 8. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Rei and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So you got two guys, uh, these two top guys, and they're helping Adonijah. You say, Where does that come in? Uh, Let me tell you what. Sometimes because you have favor with man, it'll deceive you. You'll think because you have favor with man that God's blessing you on that thing. You see that? You got to be careful. Just because you're able to do something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. Old preacher says an open door is not always an opportunity. I've had opportunities to preach before, and the Lord's basically said, you ain't got nothing to give, you better shut your mouth. And I was at a place where I wanted to preach, and I was asked to preach. And uh, the Lord's like, what are you going to say? You ain't got nothing. He said, well, that's weird. Maybe it is a little bit weird. But every opportunity is not an open door. And that verse over there in Proverbs, just, just if you take that thing practically, favor is deceitful. Favor often makes you think you are uh, maybe farther ahead than you should be because someone uh, says, boy, you know what? You sure do. Uh, you're pretty eloquent. You're able to really think things through. If you're not careful, that thing will deceive you, and you'll, you'll be like Adonijah, and you'll exalt yourself. And what's deceiving Christians in these last days is because the Lord uh, brings them out of the miry clay, amen, thank God, and sets their feet upon a rock and gives them the King James Bible, and they begin to be an instrument and the tool of God's hands and begin to help other people all of a sudden. Uh, someone starts whispering in their ears and say, Boy, you're pretty good at that. I'll tell you what, if you were a preacher somewhere, I bet you you could do better, or maybe not do better. I bet you if you were you know, behind a pulpit, uh, you know, I bet you you could uh, do a real good job preaching. Next thing you know, someone flies the coop of a local church they're supposed to be in. I'm not saying it's going on here. I'm just saying, look, if you're not careful, you let the favor of man deceive the fire out of you. Like I said Sunday, I said some people, they get going along in a job and they do an, they're doing an okay job and they get a promotion and they change over it. Why? They start believing all their good press. And an uh, old sales manager of mine said, he said, Jeremy, he says you're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you, <laughs> everyone else says you are either. And he said, well, where am I? is you're somewhere in the middle. So that whole thing, let no man deceive you by any means. Go back to Second Thessalonians. I wanted to give you that one. You've got to be careful, Christian. Uh, not like uh, full of care, but you've got to be, you've gotta be sober. You've got to take yourself serious enough to know, but not too serious. Every once in a while, I help everyone to look in the mirror and just laugh. Why? There are people that are laughing at you. And just because you uh, are doing really well where you're at in life right now, it don't mean a hill of beans. You could be bankrupt tomorrow. Amen? You could have all the slats kicked right out. You might have all your bills paid. I hope to God you do, and tomorrow hope you do. But, man, that thing could go south in a heartbeat. Just because people are helping you uh, favor is often deceitful, and, and favor. And when when Christians get a hold of uh, the favor of man, many times it deceives them. And uh, you know what the devil wants? the de- the, the devil doesn't necessarily want you. Uh, I, yeah, he wants to destroy your testimony. What he really wants you to do right now is just be one step in front of the Lord. Whatever it is, that's it. That's all he wants is one step in front of where God wants you, the perfect will of God. Just one step in front. Why? Because especially if things are going your way man he's got you well Lord's Lord's blessing me I must be doing something right well what if he's just being merciful to you what if you've been chasing a dollar bill for so long I'm not saying you have but what if you're chasing a dollar bill and finally the Lord's like okay I tried to keep you back because it's going to hurt you but you want it so go get it and then you go get it and you find out there's a tiger on the end of that dollar bill all right, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, enough of that. The Bible says, let no man deceive you by any means. So people in these days, right, uh, they were trying to deceive the Thessalonians, okay? And they were trying to tell them that they were going through the tribulation period. So Paul has to address this, and, uh, and they tra- they're telling the people there at Thessalonica that they had missed the rapture of the church. So this whole thing about <clears throat> the church going through the tribulation, which we are not, This thing's been going on ever since the scriptures came out. There's always been a group of people trying to tell you and hoodwink you to tell you that you're going to go through the tribulation period, which you're not going to. And you remember what we said at the beginning of chapter 1, that what shakes people up is persecution. All right, that's why everyone wants to attend a church where everyone's friendly and it's the friendliest church in the community and everyone's uh, focusing on their friendliness and their friendship and all that stuff. Because when persecution hits, people scatter like cockroaches. They do. And when you start going through it, people, they get all shook up too. <laughs> and whenever you start getting persecuted, you've got to remember that you often, you often start to think that you're on the wrong side of things. Remember, that healthy, wealthy, and wise, that is Old Testament theology and only to the, the nation of Israel that, who inherited the physical blessings of God. Abraham was rich in silver and gold because he loved the Lord and uh, was in fellowship with him. But let me tell you what, you and I were supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. If you're waiting for a rainbow, you're probably going to end up with a snowstorm. I've probably said this before, I have friends with a felon. And uh he told me how his experience, you know, it's gonna be rich when they tell you their experiences, you know. And he said, Yes, my wife and I and we came and uh we were visiting Lepton and you know and, and so forth and so on, and we were just asking ourselves, should we move to Lepton? And and we saw a rainbow in the sky and, and we just knew that the Lord wanted us to move. I'm like, You're nuts, man. <laughs> You're crazy. You're gonna base a life changing decision upon a rainbow? You you smoking meth or what <laughs> but uh and uh what shakes people up is not only persecution but how about this wrong teaching on the bible and that's why paul's going to address this thing and when people have wrong teaching on the bible or they themselves get messed up on the bible you know what happens when people don't have their bible right they have a tendency to be very nervous about things very nervous and uh, so these people here in, in, in Thessalonica, they're going into apostasy. And uh, he says, let no man deceive you by any means. And Thessalonians are being confused about several different things. And I want you to notice, first of all, in day, uh, verse number 3, it says the day of Christ. You see that? Now, I'll bring it to your attention, but the old Schofield Bible changes that it changes that to uh, the day of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that so you throw out your old Schofield reference. It's a good Bible. But uh, I think it's still one of the best reference Bibles out there. There's two two Bibles that I would recommend. First of all, the Ruckman Reference Bible, and that thing will help you. And then number two, the old Schofield Reference Bible of either 1909 or 17, I believe, is the, the, the other edition there, and they're both great Uh, Reference Bibles. But I would not recommend the new Schofield Bible. The new Schofield Bible changes things in their Bible just like the new Bibles do. And they insert the word sacrament as well as a number of other things. But concerning the old Schofield Reference Bible, uh, there's about eight or nine mistakes in the notes. But that doesn't mean you throw it out. That just means it's a really good reference Bible considering all the good information inside of it. What you got to learn, Christian, is. uh, In your pursuit for the truth, when you find an error in man's writings, you just scratch it there. You don't scratch the whole thing. Amen? Listen, we're reactionary. A good friend of mine preaches a fantastic message called Reactionary Theology. So Bible believers are really bad at it, but when they come to a man who makes a mistake, think about this now before you throw up, when he makes a mistake in his writings and he's an author, you've got to throw the whole thing out. Anything that man ever wrote has got mistakes in it. So what you do is if you're a Bible believer and you truly believe the Bible and a man says something that's contrary to the Bible, you scratch him there, but you keep reading. And if he lines up with the Bible 99% of the time, you scratch him 1% of the time and realize he's a human being and he just chose at that moment to either follow the crowd or number two, stand in judgment of the word of God by relying upon his own flesh. You don't throw everything away just because the guy makes a mistake. You scratch him there, and then you keep um, matching everything up by the book. All right, but here, Brother Schofield changes the day of Christ to the day of the Lord. And uh, you say, why do you do that? I'm not sure why I did that, but uh, uh, people do that as if they're trying to protect God or trying to straighten out a doctrinal thing they can't understand. But listen, I know you all know this, but I'm going to write this up on the board. You never change the book, do you? you never touch the book and the bible tells you in three different places you're not to touch you're not to mess with the book or change the book the first place shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 you don't change you don't add to the book you don't take away from it the second admonition of scripture is in Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 and 6 you don't change the book you don't take away from it and finally in Revelation chapter 22 i believe it's verse 19 Three times, one, two, three, you don't mess with the book. You don't change it. And I tell you what, I guess if a warning's in that Bible three different times, one at the beginning, one in the middle, one at the end, I guess I'd leave it alone unless you really think you are smarter than God. But in verse 3, the phrase day of Christ is supposed to be the day of Christ. And wouldn't you know, Brother Schofield changed that not to smear his name or his character, but now all the new Bibles since 1880 changed that phrase as well. So when you get there, you'll see all the new Bibles, if you have any that you reference to see what they say. You say, what do you say about that? And I say, birds of a feather flock together. When Rome changes it, so does everybody else out on the Bible, the Bible market. And, uh, and the reason they change the day of Christ, or so the day of the Lord, is to make it look like the church is going to go through the tribulation, which we've already established that fact it is not. All right, now the day of Christ is only found in the Pauline epistles. And like we said, it's a, it's a heretics proof text for the church going into the tribulation. But the day of Christ is dealing with the things that refer to the Christian during this particular time. Look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. We'll cover this real quick and we'll move on. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until what? The day of Jesus Christ. All right? And so then the day of Christ then is related to the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'll just write it up here. When you're looking at the day of Christ, it's mentioned in the Pauline epistles. All right? So it's Pauline. And what it encompasses, when you find it show up, it's talking about the rapture. It's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And it's also uh, inclusive of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this has to do with the, the child of God, all right? Now look at, uh, <laughs> look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. So when you're dealing with the day of Christ, what it's dealing with here, it's dealing with uh, these things here, but if you change it to the day of the Lord, like Brother Schofield does, like all the new Bibles do, you've got a problem because what the day of the Lord deals with is it deals with the Jews, it deals with the nations, and it deals with the judgment of God on this earth. You see the difference? It's a clear delineation. Day of Christ deals with the rapture, judgment seat, marriage supper of the Lamb. The day of the Lord refers to the Jews, the nations, and the judgment of God on the earth. Two completely different things altogether. I know some of these scholars, they think they're smart and they're just helping God out, but you're not helping God out. Leave His book alone. They're two totally different things. That's why they're spelled different. Christ is spelled, different, spelled different, differently than the Lord. Uh, first Verse 10, that's what we want. He says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and while without offense till the day of Christ. That's until you get raptured out of here. Once you get raptured out of here, thank the Lord, then all your problems are over. Amen? Now, also in the context of the day of Christ, it ties in completely with this next part of the chapter beginning in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Going all the way to verse 12, back to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Now, I want to show you that thing about the day of Christ because you'll hear uh, people talk about that thing or you'll see it uh, change in the new Bibles if you're doing any comparative work or study. And like I said, if you have an old Schofield reference Bible, you'll see his note where he changes that. So just be aware of that. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. You see that day there, verse 3, that's the day of Christ. It says, that day shall not come except there come, number one, a falling away first, and number two, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. All right, now notice here in verse 3, uh, first of all, uh, there are some words that are in italics. You see that? In your King James Bible alone, there are some words in italics, and those italic words are, that day shall not come. You see that? And you need to know that all new Bibles, they copy that part out from the King James Bible when it's not in any Greek text at all. All your new Bibles put that phrase in there that the King James has in italics, and that phrase alone is not found in any Greek manuscript anywhere in the world. That phrase, "that day shall not come," but the new Bibles, for whatever reason, they had a sense of, uh, you know, blind acorn finds a, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while. But the new Bibles copy it and follow the leading of the King James. And let me pause here and say one of the reasons you know that the King James Bible is an accurate translation is because every time the Bible didn't make sense in its translating comparative work, they, they join the phrases together with words. So when you go from one language to another, all right, there's going to be places that don't make a whole lot of sense. You're going to have to add some words. So what do they do? They put it in italics. They're honest. The King James translators let you know the words that they put in there to give you the sense of the passage. And all these new Bibles, none of them do that kind of stuff. They take out and they hack and they add to and they never let you know what they do. It. They just pass it off like they did a better job than the Lord did. And that's how you know that King James Bible is an honest translation because every time they, they took something and they added uh, words to help you understand the passage, it's always in italics, something you need to hang on to. Now this church here has gone into apostasy. Look at verse 3 again. For that day shall not come, there's the italics phrase, except there come a falling away first. All right, so he said this. This falling is falling from a standing position, so they're falling away from what? The truth, all right? And there are several verses on that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, 1. A falling away first. All right, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, so forth and so on. Grab one more verse on this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Go to the next book. You got 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, 2, the Bible says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Verse 3, here it is. For the time will come when they... Who is they? That's the church. That's Christian people. That's saved people. That's not lost people. All right? Even though the Schofield Reference Bible says it is. See what I mean? This falling away has to do with people who are saved. It's the church. All right? Uh, It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears... You know, uh, before all this whole internet and social media stuff came out, I didn't see how that would happen. But now the internet and social media and YouTube and whatever tube, my tube and your tube and their tube and all the rest of that garbage is out. I, I totally get it uh, because everybody and their brother is a scholar when it comes to preaching. Everybody's a doctor. Everyone is an expert. Everyone has their slant and their take on it. And most people are not even local church. And for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. But after the only, you know, I'm not exalting my position more than what it is. But when is the last time you honestly, besides a Bible-believing preacher, been doing it all his life, when is the last time you heard of a preacher preaching verse by verse, uh, explaining the passages they went? That thing doesn't exist. I, look, I understand there's, there's, you know, 400 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I get it. There's, God's always going to have his preachers and his teachers and doing what he wants them to do. But what we do, we're like dinosaurs. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. All right, verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, what that is right there is the church today. Second Timothy chapter 4, 2 and 3. That's the church today. Christian people, you know what they want? Christian people today want teachers instead of preachers. They want people like Bill Gothard uh, to teach them about family and family values. Uh, They want teachers to teach them instead of preachers. You say, why don't they want preachers? Because a preacher will tell you what you are. (laughs) Can I tell you this? And uh, you won't won't get offended when I say this, but no one's ever left this church because of my teaching. (laughs) They haven't. Now, they might have thought it was strange, and some of you are sure, Jackson's sure wild, preacher, but no one's ever left this church because of my teaching, but people sure have left because of the preaching. You know, if I just had this, you know, a Bible study, you know, even in my teaching there is preachiness in it. But people want a teacher. They don't want preaching because a a preacher will tell you what you are. and uh, they want teachers to teach them instead of preachers to tell them what they are. They want teachers to teach them principles, and they want someone to, that knows a little bit more than they do because they want to know what's going to happen in the future, and that's why your Jehovah Witnesses got such a draw because people in this age, they, they're they just so drawn to that prophecy thing, you know, and they want uh, nice little clerical lessons about this and that, and you know, give me, you know, give me 10 points of how I can uh, raise my family in church and they never have a hard time. Well, that's stupid. You can have hard times whether you raised in church or not. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. You realize there's people taking their kids to church hoping uh, that if it all works out right, that that they're Kids won't have trouble. There's people that take their kids to church and put them in a Christian school. And you know why they do it? Because they don't want to take responsibility for raising them. So when they don't turn out, they can get bitter and get mad at the preacher and get mad at the Sunday school teacher and get all torqued off and lose, you know. They never had faith in the church to begin with. You're not supposed to have faith in the church. You're supposed to have faith in God. A bunch of stupidness. <laughs> There's your word for the night. <laughs> but people want Teachers. And you know that to be so because of the, uh, the conversations you have with fellow Christians. Oh, did you know what I watched here? On uh, you gotta check this link out. Here, I'm gonna text you a link. You need to check this out. Really? Well, check out your Bible, man. But the church today does not want preachers. And uh, now I want to show you this because Brother Schofield, who produced a great reference Bible, remember, he gives you a summary on apostasy. And he tries to make the falling away in his note unsaved individuals by calling them the professing church. And that's what a lot of scholars like to say. Well, they were professors but not possessors. That's not it. Uh, This has to do with Christian people, the modern church who is saved. It's not true. Uh, It can be a saved individual that knows the truth and believes the truth. And then what happens is they fall away from that standing position. And one thing will happen with any apostasy is this. Any Christian can do it. You're here today. You love the Lord. You can fall away tomorrow, but you can't lose your salvation. You can apostatize. That means you can fall from a standing position. You can walk away from it. Uh, you can confess things that you honestly don't believe. We've had that happen quite a, quite a bit around here in the past eight years. People come in, love them, love, them, love them in the Lord, love them to pieces. They just come in here, and there's, the Lord's kicking around and doing things in here. Next thing you know, uh, we're building some numbers, and they'll profess things they don't even believe. They don't believe it. They're truly saved, but they just don't believe it. And uh, one thing about an apostate is they're undercover. What does that mean? Apostasy grows very slowly, very slowly. And when you finally see the apostasy, the damage is already done. It's already done. And uh, a type of this in the Scripture, just a type now, is the wheat and the tares, and they're mixed together in the book of Matthew. That's just a type of that thing. And uh, I'm not saying, I'm not quoting it, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says, look, if you take out the tares, you'll destroy the wheat also. You see that? And that's a bad position to be in, but that's how the apostate works. They claim to believe the same things you believe. Amen? And eventually they get in there, they get in the local church, and they get kicking around, and then they do their damage. And the Bible says that it's part of the signs of the last time. Number one, there will be a falling away first. You say, well, why do you say all that? Because I think you should be aware of it. You should be aware of it. And an understanding this can help you from getting completely discouraged in these last days, especially if you put any amount of effort in the local church you love and attend. you got to realize that apostasy is a real thing, and anyone can be guilty of falling into apostasy. And uh, longer that I'm pastor, right, I don't see the people of God getting better as a whole. You still with me? I know a lot of people want to hear, oh, we're getting better and we're getting better. That's what this world says, but... We're not getting better as a Christian people. If we believe the Bible, it's getting worse. And the closer to the Lord's return, it gets darker, and more Christians fall asleep. And a lot of Christians are like out for the count. And a lot of Christians, the Lord has just put them on a shelf. Why? They don't want nothing to do with what He's doing. And the body of Christ, unfortunately, is getting worse. It's getting weaker. It's getting more sickly. And instead of getting discouraged as a pastor or as a church member, I think you just need to remember that these are just identifiers that we're really close to getting out of here. Now, look, there's always been apostasy during the timeline of history, but never at the rate it is now. I mean, it's, it's bad, but if it's that bad, we're still going on. That's pretty good. And... Uh, You're going to start looking around and seeing people one by one leave off the scene, and they're going to say they believe the truth and love the truth and cared about the truth, and they shouted for the truth. Amen. We doing all right tonight? And they testified for the truth, and you know, guess what? They're on their way out. Why? They don't want a preacher. They want a teacher. That's the end times. That's the day you and I live in. It's like as long as you and I live, taxes are always going to keep going up. It's the law of human collapse. I mean, if we're going to get better and better, then we'd be violating the scriptures because it gets worse and worse. All right. Verse 3 says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's the first thing. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And here, I think we've got the time to cover, but this gets into a rather deep subject. So now the man of sin, uh, the son of perdition, is Judas Iscariot. And so I'd like to try to piece some things together and help you get an understanding of the son of perdition here. Take your Bible, go to John chapter 17, verse 12. I want to give you a list of verses, hopefully, and you can do the study. And uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you have that uh, son of perdition show up. The man of sin. And I know some of this is deep, but we'll get it, and we'll hit it quick, and we'll move on. We'll try to keep it moving. I'd like to try to uh, tie some of these things together for you. And I know uh, some of you know this stuff, but it uh, it bears repeating. It bears repeating. Now I know some people they'll they'll take a specific study and go this, and I'm I'm not likely to do that. I just rather teach and preach through the Bible. And when we come to it, then I want to hit it because we're there. I don't want to. Glaze over it. I want to give it to you here, and uh, we do this for your edification. John chapter seventeen, look at verse twelve. Verse twelve. Bible <clears throat> said, "While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Uh, those that Thou gavest Me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the Son of Perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled." You see that? There's the Son of Perdition. So this is Jesus Christ. He's praying in the garden. And here we see the Son of Perdition show up, and this thing ties right in with Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three. And the word for perdition is hell or destruction, and it's dealing directly with Judas Iscariot. All right, <clears throat> I'll take your Bible and I'll go back to John chapter six, John chapter six verse seventy, John chapter six verse seventy. You ever stop and think about the ministry of Jesus Christ? <laughs> this verse makes me think about it. He says here in John 6 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil? <laughs> I mean, out of 12 he chosen, one was a devil. Uh, 71, he spake of Judas Iscariot, you see it? The son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the 12. So you got to remember here tonight that uh, Judas Iscariot was of the devil. And Iscariot means a man from Ishkarioth. Ishkarioth. A man from Ishkarioth. That's what uh, Judas Iscariot means. You put that uh, Iscariot, that's Ishkarioth. All right, now let's keep the thing going. Go to Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah 48. I'm going to chase this fella down through the scriptures. Jeremiah 48, 24, uh, 25, and then we'll pick up verse 41 as well. Now, there in Jeremiah 48, 24, notice what it says here. 24 says, uh, uh, and upon Kerioth, and upon Basra, and upon all the cities of the land of Moab, far or near. All right, so we're going to find out that this man comes from the land of Moab. The land of Moab. Uh, he uh, comes from the land of Kerioth. Moab and Kerioth. Uh, jump down to 41. It says Kerioth is taken, and the strongholds are surprised, and the mighty men's heart in Moab at the day shall be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. Back to verse 25. The horn of Moab is cut off, and his arm is broken. All right, so we're talking about the son of perdition, right? The man of sin. And you know what we learn about him? Not only is it Judas Iscariot, he's from the land of Moab, he's from the land of Kerioth, but he's got a broken arm. You see that? That fellow's got a broken arm. And if you take a look, at it, you'll find out uh, who the fellow with the broken arm is. Go over to Zechariah, Zechariah 11. This man from Kerioth has a broken arm. And we're about to uncover who it is. Zechariah 11. Now, you're not going to hear this on TBN, and uh, you're not going to read it in the Daily Bread. <laughs> and Joyce Myers isn't going to talk about it. She doesn't know what she's talking about. But this is some heavy stuff. Uh, Zechariah 11, 17. Go to, go to 16 first. Look at 16 and 17. This will tie it together, too. Bible says in verse 16, "...for lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off." Neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Look at verse 17. Here he is. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm. There it is. And upon his right eye, his arm shall be clean dried up. Ain't that interesting? You say, who is that? Well, look at verse 12 and 13. You're going to see exactly who it is. 11, 12. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price. What? Well, ain't that something. Thirty pieces of silver. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said unto me, cast them to the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So obviously the man that you're talking about here is Judas Iscariot. And this is a prediction as to what he's going to do when he betrays Jesus Christ. Now, in this particular context, you're going to see that he comes back up after we're raptured out of here. I'll say that again. In this context, you're going to find out this Judas Iscariot comes back up after the church is raptured out. Look at Acts chapter uh, number 1, Acts chapter chapter 1, verse 25, Judas comes back. That's the son of perdition, the man of sin. All right, 25, Acts 1, 25. I told you it was heavy, but I think you can handle it. Amen? That's why I'm putting the verses up there for you. Bible says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. What's the last phrase? That he might go to his own place. <laughs> okay, at this juncture, you've got to find out what is his own place. All right, let's find out Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. No, it's not the White House. (laughs) What's his own place? Where'd he go? All right, remember, he's a devil, right? I've chosen you 12 and one's a devil. He goes to his own place. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 9, and listen, once we get done throwing all these references up here, I'll try to tie them together the best I can, all right? <clears throat> uh, Revelation 9 they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. So this particular place where he goes is a place down in the bottom of the earth, and it's called the bottomless pit. If I had to have my guess, and this is just surmising, it's somewhere just beneath the Mariana Trench. You say, why do you say that? Well, that's the deepest part of the earth, man. <laughs> any rate, but uh, you see uh, two, two names there. And the man's name or the angel's name that's down there is called Abaddon, which means destroyer or destruction. And Apollyon, which means destroyer or destruction. And both of those names, you know what they mean? They mean perdition. Uh, look over to Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. Revelation 17, verse 8. Who is this son of perdition, this man of sin? I think we're uncovering, as they say down south, the pig and the poke. All right, 17, 8. All right, the Bible says, The beast that thou sawest was. Now, hold on. All right, that means he used to be there, right? The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend... Out of the bottomless pit. You see him come up? And go into what? Perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was. So, he was there when John was there. and John's the one writing. Judas Iscariot was there when John was there, right? Alright, so it says, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, he's now dead, and yet is. That means he's going to come back out again. You see that? Right there in Revelation chapter 17.8. So Judas Iscariot was was on the earth as a man, but he is not here now, is he? He's not here now, but he's going to come back. That's Revelation 9.11. We just looked at that. That verse says he will ascend. And here in verse 8, 17.8, it says that he will go into perdition. That's the son of perdition. So what you have is you got a second coming, don't you? You got a second coming of Satan. So think about it like this you've got a second coming of Jesus Christ, right? You've got a second coming of Moses, you've got a second coming of Elijah, and you have a second coming of Judas. And now from the scriptures, it doesn't appear that Judas had necessarily a soul to lose. He didn't lose a soul. I mean, if he had a soul, then uh, where did his soul go? The Bible says that what it was inside of Judas was a spirit or a devil that went to his place, which was the heart of the earth, the bottomless pit. We just revealed that. And when Judas comes back, you know what he'll be? He'll be the devil in the flesh. He'll be Satan incarnate. You say, why? He's an exact counterfeit of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. So what you have once the church is raptured out, you have the son of perdition, the son of perdition. God had a son, and the devil has a son. Now, that's heavy, ain't it? <laughs> All right, and just like if you're a father, you have a seed. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, 15. Genesis 3.15. He's all tied together on who the son of perdition is. <clears throat> the devil has a seed. Now, some people have a hard time with this. Let's just see what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in Genesis 3.15, and I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You see that? The devil has a seed. So in, uh, was it, Mel Gibson... Uh, Gave you the passion of the Christ. He uh, had uh, you stomping on the devil in the garden. The devil didn't beat the... uh, The Lord didn't... uh, That thing isn't finished in the garden. That thing's finished uh, when he's thrown into the uh, lake of fire forever. But uh, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right, let's move on. So God has a son. Amen? And the devil has a son. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 26. Acts 4, 26. I want to show you some things in the last day that show up. Acts four 26. You're going to realize that the Lord has a Christ and the devil has a Christ. All right? The Lord has a Christ. That's Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to deal with the, the some people who claim to be Christ. You've got these goofballs all around the United States, and they'll claim to be Jesus, and they'll get some kind of following going, and the federal government go in there and burn their place down or something like that and make a real fool out of themselves. And the Bible says that there'll be many false Christs in these times. Now, Acts 4.26, the Bible says, the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. All right, so that means there's more than one Christ then. I notice that that he gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. I'll look up you Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, verse 25. Now the devil's a great counterfeiter. Whatever the Lord does, the devil copies it. He copies it. Luke chapter two, verse 25. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that son of perdition is Judas Iscariot. When Judas Iscariot uh, uh, kicked off, he went to his own place, and he's coming back. Once the church is raptured out of here, he comes back. He ascends out of the bottomless pit, and he goes into perdition. He's the son of perdition, and he comes back as the devil incarnate. All right, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost is upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. you see that? So you're going to find out that there's going to be a counterfeit to the real Jesus Christ. There's many Christs on this earth. And Paul said there's Lord's many and God's many. Second Corinthians chapter 8, I believe it is. And many people, unfortunately, when they look at the... Uh, what Hollywood's producing all the way back from the life of Christ in 1977, even to the passion of the Christ. They get to thinking that Jesus Christ was some kind of half-queer, effeminate, swishy fella. But that's not who he was, and they kind of figure that the Lord is just some kind of deep, baritone voice. Hey, how you doing, you know? <laughs> like he believes uh, he belongs in some jazz lounge or something. That's not the Lord at all. And uh, he just goes through all the land of Israel doing nice things. And that's what the world thinks about Jesus Christ. And then when someone, a real preacher gets up and preaches and scorches them, uh, they don't know what to do with it. Why? They've got the wrong idea of a false Christ. And uh, listen, if Jesus Christ didn't even have a place to lay his head, he didn't have any possessions while he was on this earth, I mean, where did he keep his stuff at? You ever stop and think about that? Where did he keep his stuff didn't he tell the one fellow, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. You suppose he was being literal? Absolutely. Uh, he lived out in the woods. <laughs> he was a carpenter. I, I don't imagine that Jesus Christ's hands were soft. Uh, I imagine Jesus Christ would be a very strong individual, especially when you think of him going into the temple and turning over tables. I mean the Bible says he went in there and he braided a whip and drove them out, and them suckers ran. If Jesus Christ was what the world thinks, a swishy, effeminate kind of half-queer fella, they'd have turned around, grabbed the whip out of his hands, and whipped him. That tells you Jesus Christ was a man's man. And everywhere you go, you're gonna, you're gonna have a, you're gonna you're gonna have a counterfeit. So I want to cover that thing in two, three about uh, the falling away first. That deals with saved people. And then the son of perdition, uh, he's revealed after the church is raptured out. So we'll stop there. We've covered a lot of information, run a lot of verses. And we're about 10 minutes past the hour. I think y'all had enough. So we'll stop right there and pick it up when we're together again.